seated. It's good to be back with you. I'm thankful for Jamin, who faithfully opened up the Scripture last two Sundays, and, and I hope to do the same for us this, this morning as we uh, continue our journey through the book of Acts, and, and we're in Acts chapter 27. Uh, if you're new here, Acts is in the New Testament. It is uh, right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts chapter 27. Well, as a father of four children, being a dad for almost a decade, I've noticed that my alertness to the dangers of this world is, is heightened. Um, kind of comparing that to when I was a child, I uh, didn't think there was anything that could harm me. I remember my parents warning me of things, uh, be safe. Uh, I remember um, my mom almost incessantly always reminding me as I'd walk out the door, praying for you, be safe, buckle up, watch for others, you know, constant reminders going, all right, mom, leave, leave me alone. Well, I find myself doing the same thing. If you're a parent, you probably uh, can identify with that. I continually say to my children, do not touch, do not run, please sit down, watch for cars, don't slam the door, stop running with the pencil, and it just keeps going on and on, and I have, there's this picture one time I saw on, on the internet of a kid with a, a fork, and they said, you know, and they showed, uh, actually I think the first picture was a kid with dots on his nose, and then the next picture was the fork, and his mother told him to not run with forks, and somehow he had fallen, and the fork had gone through his nose, and I just think of things like that constantly, of what could happen. Our children, they aren't aware of those potential dangers. Uh, my kids go, I know. I, I was just, it's okay. There's always a rebuttal for whatever we have to say. But as parents, it's one of our jobs to see, that, to see the things that they don't see. To warn them so that they may grow up in a safe environment. Well, in a similar way, our Heavenly Father is well aware of the dangers that lurk in this world. He warns us of them. He warns us so that we may be brought safely home. As we just sang, He will hold me fast. And one of the means by which He holds us fast is He is a Heavenly Father who cares and who has written to us and who has warned us of the dangers of this world. But so often, like our children, we don't understand. And we downplay the dangers. We say, oh, I know, Lord, but I, I'm not tempted in that way. Or I'm, I'm strong enough. Or how, how close can I get, Lord, when he calls us to flee these things? We question our Father. We, we like to push the boundaries because we actually don't think that things will ever go as bad as they possibly could. That, that couldn't possibly really happen to me. I'm stronger. I'm well aware. Nevertheless, the Scriptures continually call us to be alert, to flee the dangers of this world. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I read those warnings of Scripture and, and I forget He's talking to me. Sometimes I think, oh, that's good for other Christians. I'm reminded uh, of uh, 
I guess it happened this past summer, uh, I forgot which college baseball team, but a group of Division I athletes um, were out at the lake, and, and, and one of the, uh, I think the pitcher of, it might have been Vanderbilt, decided, hey guys, I'm going to swim the length of the lake. He's fit, he's able, but everybody has been told, you can't do it. And unfortunately for him, it rang true, and he drowned. We're like that, confident. Well, that won't happen to me. I can handle it. But we must remember that these warnings of Scripture are written to us. Jesus says this, Watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that that day would come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is talking to his disciples, the ones who walked with him, and by extension to us, take heed, be alert, pray that you might have the strength assuming that in and of ourselves we won't. Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world which are not according to Christ. Oh, I can handle it, Lord. The things I put into mind, I can discern. So we're not alert. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you before and solemnly warned you, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit. John writes, do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. We all experience that, do we not? We see the world and and it, it, it appeals to our desires. We see it like Eve looking at the fruit on the tree and she saw that it was much to be desired. And just like that simple sin in the garden brought great devastation, so every day, brothers and sisters, we are bombarded by the temptations and the lures of the world. But John goes on, he says, the world is passing away, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And I could go on and on through the scripture where the scriptures are warning us. I don't I can't think of a single book in the New Testament that there isn't some sort of warning to the recipients to be alert. And the reason it's there is because we can easily be lulled to sleep, easily get within the comforts of this world and forget the danger that lurks around. 
Well, this morning we're in Acts chapter 27, which vividly illustrates for us what it looks like to trust God on the dangerous voyage known as life. This passage instructs us specifically with what saving faith looks like and how such faith perseveres, it endures, until we are safely brought home. I don't know if you've looked ahead, or maybe you are right now, and you're looking at the headings, or or maybe you've read this passage before, and, and you might be scratching your head, saying, Chase, How is this about saving faith? This is a a shipwreck. This is Paul's account of sailing to Rome. We've been in this trial scene that just seemed to go on and on. Well, finally, he's getting on a boat, and they've sent him away, and they run into a storm. How does this apply to me? Well, at one level, you're right. This is a story about Paul's journey on a ship, this journey actually takes nearly two years. We're not going to take that long to go through it. But it's a long journey, and it's almost like, Luke, why why are you telling us about this? Couldn't you have just said, and Paul hopped on a boat, and he sailed to Rome? We could get through this book a lot quicker if you'd just done that, Luke. But this passage, there's really more than meets the eye. And really, as we dive in this morning, we're diving into the deep end. We're sailing out into deep water. Because as Luke retells this story, he's not only going to detail God's power and ability and might to protect Paul, but he's also showing, in an analogous way, God's protection of Paul and the instruction that happens in the midst of the sea is analogous to how he protects you and me as we walk through this dangerous life. And he does it so that we may ultimately be brought safely home. Now, to help us see this, I I want us to understand a couple of things. I want to kind of set some bigger context, some bigger concepts even for us. And that first concept that I want us to see is the sea. Um, we, we see in verse, um, cha- uh, verse 2 of chapter 7, uh, they put out to the sea. Now you might be saying, yeah, that's really profound, Chase. Wow, they went out into the sea. Well, in the scriptures, in the Jewish worldview, the way they, they understand the world, the sea was the place to be feared. The Jewish people were not seafaring people. They liked to stay close to shore. You saw the disciples, oftentimes when storms would come, they would panic. They don't like to be out there. And this is because the sea represented the forces of evil, of chaos and disorder. You even see at the beginning of Genesis, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Before there was creation, there was the the depths. Furthermore, in Psalm 93, the Lord is said to be mightier than the floods that lift up. That the Lord is mightier than the roaring. The Lord is mightier than the sea. And it's not just to, to contrast the Lord from His might and, and, and compared to the mighty waves and currents of the ocean, but it's actually a psalm reflecting on God's redemption of the people of Israel out of Egypt and how He was mightier than the Red Sea. And He brought them through the depths. Furthermore, it's the sea, which is the abode of the sea monster, Leviathan. You read about that creature in the Psalms? The Psalms, or in Isaiah, 
even uh, Isaiah 27, listen to what the prophet writes. He says, In that day the Lord with his hand and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. You ever watch Shark Week? Yeah, that's scary. Just this week, my dad sent me a video of these people in Mexico on a shark cage dive, and this great white shot into the cage and started getting all in there. Man, that would have been scary, although he lived. I kind of would like to have done that if I could secure the outcome. But, uh, <clears throat> but they're scary. What lurks beneath? Is the sea in which Daniel sees four great monsters coming out in Daniel chapter 7. Revelation 13 likens the kingdoms of this world to a beast that rises out of the sea. So when you start hearing that Paul hits the sea, if, if we're good Jews, if we understand our Old Testament, we're like, oh no, the story is not over. How is he going to make it through? It's no wonder that in the Gospels, Jesus is shown to be the one who calms the storms of the sea because he is the one who's come to destroy the works of the evil one. Furthermore, when Jesus describes the trials and tribulations that will precede his second coming, listen to how he describes them. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and stars and on the earth distresses of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Paul is recalling this chaos that is in the world, and he likens it to the chaos of the roaring sea. Again, this is why at the end of Revelation, when God has subdued all his enemies, at the very end, listen to these, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Why do you think that's important? I heard John Piper say, I'm hoping there's really big lakes, though. I like the sea, but if you understand that worldview that the sea represents these evil forces, and when all the enemies are subdued, there is no sea, it is no coincidence, then, that as Paul takes the gospel to Rome, he is faced with opposition from the sea. Notice how the story and the danger builds in Acts chapter 27. Look in verse 4. And putting out to sea, and from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. Why? Because the winds were against us. Verse 7. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete. Verse 8, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which was near the city of Lassie. And then Luke records that some time had passed, verse 9, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. What does that mean? It was after the Day of Atonement. This is about this time of year. It's October. And he's giving us kind of a chronological note to say winter is coming and this is bad time to be on the water because the winds pick up. It's when hurricane season is. So it's dangerous. And Paul advising them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. 
not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. And so you're seeing the winds are against them. There's much difficulty. It's building, it's building. And now it's been some time, and now it's even going to get worse. But they don't listen to Paul. The majority the, uh, the, the, of the sailors, they, they, they think by chance, verse 12, that somehow they can reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. Oh, we can make it. You know what their motivations probably were? We've got cargo. We need to get things on a deadline. We're paid a little extra money uh, to go the distance to get this product there on time. It's like those shows on the National Geographic's Discovery Channel where they're like ice truck warriors, whatever they are. Yeah, you're not going to make it. It's the same idea. Oh, we'll do it. We'll escape. We'll make it through. So the storm is building. So they disregard Paul's warning. And notice what happens. Verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind, that's a typhoon. That's the word we get, typhoon. It's a hurricane. A hurricane comes called the Northeaster, and it struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it. And we were driven along. Okay. So they thought they could make it. Verse 13, they think, oh, the wind's just blowing gently. They, they bend around the, the island, and a northeastern wind comes flowing down and brings them out into open water. And so running under the lee of a small island called Caudia, we managed with difficulty to secure, secure the ship's boat. So number one, they're under, let's lock down, let's, let's save our lives. They're, they're getting their rowboats up. They're, they're securing them to the ships. Verse 17, after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. And the idea was is that their ship was beginning to crack. The hole was beginning to leak, and they were securing it. And, and I, I was reading that they would try to take a rope and wrap it around the boat like they were trying to tie themselves together because this storm was so fierce. Fearing that they're going to run into the ground, they're going to hit the reefs. They begin lowering their gears, lowering their anchors. They're still being driven along. Since we were so violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. All that shipment that we were trying to make good time to make money, well, forget that. We need to save our lives. They start dumping everything off. They even start throwing over the ship's tackle overboard. Look in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. The last thing to go over ship was their hope of being saved. Brothers and sisters, that's the picture of the world. They're in darkness. There is no sun, there is no light. And there is no hope of being saved. And we need to perceive the world like the dangers of the sea, a world in darkness. And apart from the light of Christ, we have no hope. Try as we might, as these sailors tried to do, every which way to seek to save their own life, it is futile. You cannot save yourself. 
And so the question for us is then, how do we live in a world in which there is no hope of salvation? How do we live? How do we represent this hope to those caught in the storm? How do we ensure that we are not swept away by the storm ourselves? With the time that remains, I want to show you what it looks like to trust in God on this dangerous voyage. What it looks like to entrust ourselves to God of whom we belong and worship so that by our endurance we will be saved. Now look in verse 21. Paul begins to step up. He's already spoken up once. He was dismissed. Well, now everything is literally going down ship, going down. They're, they're sinking they had been without food for a long time, and Paul stood up among them, and he said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. But notice what he says. He says, Now I urge you to take heart. Twice he's going to tell them this. He's going to say, Take heart. Be of good courage. He wants them to find courage in God's salvation. And he, he reminds them, he, he says, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. That takes courage. Literally, they're in the eye of the storm or on the, uh, maybe not the eye because that's a safe place, but they are in the middle of the storm. Everything is being thrown overboard. How can we lighten up this ship? Can we somehow survive? And Paul says, no one's going to die. Yeah, right, Paul. We're not going to survive a hurricane. But notice how Paul points them to the revelation of God. And this is really where I want us to start thinking. What does it look like to trust God with endurance? It means to take heart in his word. First of all, he gives two promises, verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And this is what he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar. We already know that, right? Earlier, when Paul was in prison, when he was standing on trial, the Lord Jesus came to him by night in a vision and said, you will stand before Caesar and you will give testimony to me. Well, this ship ride, we're already probably a year in. And he has been in jail for two years since that promise to the Lord. Really, when you begin thinking about God's promises in Scripture, they usually don't come about really quickly, at least according to our timetable. And what does that mean? We usually try to take matters into our own hands. Abraham and Sarah, well, hey, how about my, my servant? Well, we'll, we'll have a son. The Lord clearly has abandoned us. That'll work out well. We oftentimes forget the promises, and the Lord comes to Paul and reminds him of his word. Take heart, Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. Remember my promises. They're good. But there's another component to this. There's a new revelation that Paul has given. And not only that, Paul is going to stand before Caesar, but God has granted you all those who sail with you. Paul, everyone who sails with you. And this is gonna, that theme's going to come up here a little bit later, so hold that thought. Everyone who sails with you, everyone who is in relationship to you, Paul, 
I've granted that they might be saved. That's the idea. And so he comes to the, uh, to the crew, to the prisoners, to the soldiers, and he again urges them, take heart. And these are great words, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Brothers and sisters, do we have that type of faith? Do we know the words of God so that when the storms hit that we say, I have faith in God, it will be exactly as we have been told. Everything is going according to plan. How many of you would say that last you know, election cycle? Everything going to plan? The whole world doesn't think it's going to plan. Hurricane Matthew just came through. You think that's going to plan? Terrorism is happening. Is that going to plan? What do we do? The world is wondering, is there any hope? And we say, take heart, world. Come with us. Listen to us and the words that have been given to us because we have faith in the God who created this world and everything will happen exactly as we have been told. As we're surrounded by the darkness of this world, the world or the word of God is like a light, bright lighthouse. You know what lighthouses are used for? Twofold purpose. Number one, there's rocks, beware, warning. But number two, they serve as navigation points, showing you where to go. The word of God is a, is a lamp in the darkness. Peter says this in, 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 in 2 Peter. He says this exact same terminology. 2 Peter chapter 1. And he says to them, Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We have the word of God, which is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We go to the word to get security in this world. Jesus reminding his disciples. In John chapter 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now let me ask you, why do you think he said that? Because they're going to feel like they're orphaned at some point. I talked to some of you. Some who aren't here right now because they say he's abandoned me. You will feel like that when you are in the midst of the storm. Lord, help us. Where are you? Where do you turn? Where do you turn when all your hopes and dreams, all your life plans seem to just crumble and melt before you? Everything that you banked on doesn't come through. That job promotion you thought you were going to get, it doesn't happen. Better yet, it's not only you don't get the job, hey, we don't need you anymore. Things don't go well with the kids. Health is not looking very good for you. On and on and on, the troubles of this world begin crashing on like waves hitting you and beating you and dragging you. And you say, I don't know how much longer I can swim. Where do you go? Take heart. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus reminds them in John 14, he goes on and says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He goes on, he says, The things that I have spoken to you, remember my words, remember my promises. You're going to be tempted to forget them. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will come and He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How does that work in yours and my life? You get in the Word. The inspired Word of God. You take heart in it. Now, and, and this is usually what people do. Hey, trouble's coming. Where do I turn? All right, let's find some verses. And we look and, oh, this is worthless, Lord. I can't do it anymore. That's because you haven't been resting in the Word the whole time. You only come to Him when the, when the so-called storm is coming. And then you are not alert. You did not heed the warnings that the Scripture continually says, how did I get wrapped up in this sin? I was here, and then all of a sudden, it was like I, the current drifted me all the way over there because you weren't alert. And what's the anchor for our soul? It is the Word of God. It's the solid rock. And you begin thinking about this theme of the sea. How often in the scriptures do we see that? Let me tell you about a man who built his house upon the sand. Let me tell you about a man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms come and they crash the man's house who was built on the sand, Allah, the one who was concerned with the cares of this world, and did not take care to build his life upon the work of the word, his life was washed away. Paul says to them, take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Do you know how it's been told? Do you know how it's going to turn out? Do you have an awareness about how God works in the world? Because if you don't, you're going to be washed away when the trouble comes. This world rages like a great storm, but we take heart in God's word that he's mightier than the sea and will bring his redemptive purposes to pass. We take heart that all things work together for our good, namely our ultimate glory. When we take heart in God's word, this will lead us not to forsake his plan. This is the second point. Forsake not his plan. Now notice verse 20. We already saw that there's neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. In other words, there's darkness. But notice how Luke in this narrative is, is kind of wanting us to read this with spiritual eyes. Verse 27. When the 14th night had come, and we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight. It's still dark, right? But it's been two weeks in the darkness. And the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, and they start seeing, they, they, they understand that the, the, the depths of the sea are, 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 are lightning, and so they realize they're getting closer to the rocks. In verse 29, they let down four anchors in, from the stern, and what did they do? They prayed for day to come. What do you do in the darkness? When it is dark and it looks bleak, Lord, let there be light. But this is how... Many Christians often respond, verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out their anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. 
As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I see Christians. Everything's good. They'll be here sometimes. But things get bad. Things get worse. They look at that lifeboat that says destination world. And they say, under pretense, I'm, I'm helping out. Hey, I'm just, I'm just checking things out. I need some time for myself and the Lord. You know what's all that's happening? Is they're looking for the way to sneak out and get away. They abandon ship. Hey, this thing with the church, this plan, it's not looking that good. We're not looking too mighty in the storm. I'm looking over there. Those people look safe. I'm going to go with them. And Paul says, you abandon the ship. You abandon the plan. There is no salvation. The ship, I don't really know how to apply this other than there's a sense in which you would come back to where the Lord promised Paul, all those who sail with you, that we remain faithful to the teaching of the apostles. We remain faithful to the people of the saints. We remain with his people. That's the ship that will be saved. And oftentimes we're, we're in our, our, our rickety ship and we're tying it up and we're trying to hold on to dear life and we see that, that nice big cruise liner go by. Man, the storms don't seem to bother them as much. I'm going to go there. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You cannot leave the ship. Now you might be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm putting one and two together. Does this mean we can lose our salvation? Does this mean if, if I leave or I fall away or I get drifted away that I lose my salvation? That's, that's not exactly how I think this works. This is a warning, right? Paul's already told them, do not be afraid. Take heart. There will be no loss of life among you. There is the promise, the security that God will hold you fast. But then he comes back and he says, if you do this, you won't be saved. Sounds like there's a condition here. This is how the warnings work in Scripture. It's where we began with the warnings. Don't go out of the boat. You can't be saved. And what happens with them? They stay in the boat. This is what always happens in the Gospels. He who hears my voice and listens to me, he is my true sheep. Here's the idea. God's warnings to us in the Scripture are the means by which He keeps us in the boat. I'll give you another example. Whatever the mark of the beast is in Revelation, I have my own thoughts, we'll do that some other time. Whatever it is, if you take it, you will have no part in the life to come. That warning's for you and me. It's written to seven churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not do this or you won't be saved. Well, the ones who are truly believers listen to Jesus' word, and they don't do that. This is what happens. They listen to Paul. They stay in the boat. They don't forsake. And this is really what we need to remember. When it gets tough, and it will, and the world is going to be luring you and saying, hey, come on over here, Paul, and, and the scriptures are telling us, do not be deceived. Do not get off this boat. Do not abandon God's plan. For this is the plan by which he will bring us safely to shore. That's kind of the negative. He brings the positive here in verse 33. 
And notice now it's midnight. They're praying for day. But look, verse 33. As day was about to dawn. You know when the scripture says salvation is nearer to us than before? We're closer than before. It's, it's as if we're waiting here for the day to dawn. Well, now it's about to dawn. And look what Paul says. Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. Now look at what he says, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. This exact same phrase was said by Jesus, and I want you to look at the context. Go to Luke chapter 21. This is why I think Luke is doing a little bit more than meets the eye. There's kind of a double meaning going on here. Stay in the boat, you'll save your life. Listen to Paul. And the revelation of God and you'll have salvation. You see the parallels? And he's giving these clues, Luke is, to Jesus. And we're going to see a couple of these. Luke 21, um, we'll just start in verse 16. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of them they will put to death. Verse 17, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but verse 18, but not a hair on your head will perish. What? Because Jesus is talking about your secure destiny, salvation. Luke's kind of giving us a hint of how we should be reading the story and seeing how God's preservation of these people is likened to his preservation of us. I know I told you we're going to deep water and some of your heads are hurting right now. Stay in there. And then he goes on, verse 35, And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Your mind should be going, ding, 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 ding. I've read that before. Where have we read that? Back in Luke 21. Verse 18. Actually, it's verse, chapter 21, verse 18. Or 22, verse 18. Nineteen. All right. Luke 22, verse 19. And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. What's Paul doing on the ship? And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And what did they do? They were all encouraged and, some, and ate food for themselves. What does that sound like? It sounds like the Lord's Supper. Some of your Bibles under verse 34 where it says, for it will give you strength. They have a little footnote. Mine says, for it is, by, uh, for, it is for your deliverance. Eat, for this is for your deliverance. That's the word salvation. Eat so that you may be saved. And kind of that helps us see the double kind of meaning here. Hey, you need to eat food to strengthen so that you can make the last leg of this journey. What about us and our journey? You need to regularly come to the table. You need to regularly join the fellowship of the saints where you will be encouraged to remain on the course. We often don't look at it that way. That's where those warnings come in mind. Oh, I can do whatever. 
I'll see in the summer, people say, well, hey, we got a boat, and we're going to be there every weekend. Sorry, we can't be at church. You know what? We never see you until the storm hits. Or, hey, we were just too busy, or I just had to sleep in, or I just had to do this or that. And it's because you're lulled to sleep, and you're not thinking about what is God's means of preserving me. And His means of grace are found in the church. Hebrews 10 25, 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see what? The day drawing near. Verse 33, Acts 27, as the day was about to dawn. What are they doing? They're gathering together. He's breaking bread in the presence of all, and they're encouraged. Luke wants us to see that in this life, if you're going to make it to the end, you've got to be faithful in the fellowship of the saints. Where the word is taught, where you're encouraged by fellowship of believers, where sin is confronted, where your minds are awakened and stimulated, so that you will not be drifted away. Verse 39, now when it was day, that's the day of salvation. Look at what happened, verse 44, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. There's a lot that happens there, the Lord preserves them, but here's, here's kind of the big picture. The Lord's promised, I will take you here, I will use you. My promises are good. All the things that I've said will come to pass. Don't abandon ship. It's hard. Eat, be strengthened. I've given you the church. And that is the means by which he brings us all safely to shore. It's interesting. Paul says in verse 32, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. You know why they didn't eat? Because they were so worried about what was going on outside. Don't you, aren't you tempted that way? Hey, I can't come to church, too much going on. I can't eat. I can't be strengthened. Too much is going on in my family's life. I just, I, I, we just can't go to church. The Lord, I got to get myself together, strengthened. I can't come here looking like this. No, if you want to be delivered, come and be strengthened by God's grace to preserve you to the end. Well, what's the end? What's that great day in which the world passes away and a new heavens and a new earth appear? And as I close, I just want to bring our attention and, and set our focus to what it's going to be like when the day dawns. When that day comes and the sun shines again. Revelation chapter 21. Just listen as I read verses, just a few verses from this. John says, a new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. John goes on and he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun, moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it light. That's the day we're waiting for, the day that the sun doesn't have to shine, the day that the stars don't have to be bright. Because the glory of Christ fills the earth. The lamp is the lamb. And by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And they will bring it in, into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's those whose names are on the ship log. Who got on the boat? And who remained on the boat and heeded the words of Christ? How will we be preserved in the storm? We take heart in God's word. We forsake not his plan. And we continue by his grace. And we will all be brought safely home. Let's pray. Lord, your word is rich. Lord, so often you tell us that we must wrestle with your word and to hear and see what you have for us. And so, Lord, I, I'm sure we wrestled today. I'm sure, Lord, that I, I was imperfect in how I led us through this. But, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, as your children are wrestling, understanding how to, to appropriate this text, Lord, I pray that you will lead them into all truth, that they would see the subtleties and, and the reminders and, and, and remember your word, and they will take heart. And Lord, that you will bring us safely to shore even if the ship begins to crumble, that we will never let go, but even if we do, Lord, we know that you will hold us fast. And you will bring us there. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing one closing song.